Hey, welcome to another episode of the Last Picture Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Christy. And I'm here to tell you that if you want a custom tattoo by some awesome tattoo artists, you should check out Pete, Natasha, and Rob down at Allegory Tattoo in Normal Heights. And they will take your idea and transform it into a beautiful piece of art that is on your body forever. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Steel Realty, a boutique real estate agency located right in Cardiff, California. They're local experts at real estate and their main goal is to make their clients happy. So drop on into their office in Cardiff and make sure that your next buying or selling experience is the best it can be. We are also brought to you by the KD Photo Works. We're also brought to you by the Kadia Photo Works. It's a studio that we are recording this very podcast in right now. So Lucadia Photo Works, located in Encinitas, California, is a photographer collective. We've just had a few new members join. We're super excited. And the studio is also available for rental. It's equipped with a cyclorama and um, tons of equipment available for rental uh, to meet your photo needs. It's the perfect place for your next photo shoot. If you're a North County photographer, San Diego photographer coming to visit California and you want to do some shoots, uh, swing on by. We're um, on the web at locadiaphotoworks.com and Instagram, locadia underscore photoworks. So um, come say hi, check us out on, on social. Right on. I like that. That was good. You like to talk about our, who we um, got to interview? Yeah, this week's episode we're we're super uh, excited about as as always. We always say that we love our guests, but um, this week's episode we have our conversation with photojournalist uh, photographer Sandy Huffaker, who uh, has been in in the industry since '92, and um, we always go and go how much we love our guests. But um, Sandy just has a very nice ease and a humbleness to him, uh, to his personality, and made it really delightful to sit down and talk about his career and all his stories in um, covering um, news and being a photojournalist. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've, I've um, loved getting to know Sandy over the last few years. I met him a few years ago, and right away I saw that he... Um, his photojournalism photography was just outstanding. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's he's a true photojournalist, meaning I think he uh, went into this career as a photojournalist years ago with uh, the purity of wanting to make a difference in the world and relay truth out there through images um, about you know uh, humanity. Um, and I still think that. Um, all these years later, um, he's still a photojournalist and he still has the same purity of heart behind and his work. And a passion for what he does. And a passion for it. He still cares. You know, I think it's getting tougher and tougher out, out there for people to appreciate journalism or what it takes to like. It's a weird time in news. Yeah, it's a weird time in news. And also we're just so saturated with images in the world that. Definitely. I don't know if people are able to decipher so well what's 
real and what's not. Let's just say I really respect him and I also just admire like his style of photography. Yeah, we. We respect him. (laughs) Speak for both of us. (laughs) We respect him and we both admire his style um, of photography. He produces excellent work. You may not have heard his name as a famous, well-known photographer out there just like to like the general public, but he's well-established. So he shoots for all the big names that you've heard of, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Politico, Getty Images, AFP, Reuters, the AP, Newsweek, ProPublica, Success Magazine, and more. He's based in San Diego, so a lot of his work has been in kind of the Southwest United States. We And we touched on his coverage of um, immigration and the border walls and also... Some Mexico stories, some border stories. Yeah, and also um, the importance of being prepared at all times if you're a photojournalist because yeah. you never know... What's going to happen. When the news is about <laughs> to strike and you might have to grab your camera That's and a good one. get the image. That's so. a good story. Yeah. You guys are going to like it. So thanks for listening. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. And remember, um, follow us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on social at Last Picture Pod. And that's on Twitter. And on the, our website is thelastpicturepodcast.com. And if you like the podcast, we'd love if you give a five-star review. That's how podcasts get found and other people will be able to listen to all our fun conversations. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Sandy Huffaker. Hey, it's another day and we're hanging out talking to photographers. It's not so bad. This is The Last Picture, a podcast not just about photography. Because sometimes the coolest part about being a photographer are the stories behind the shot and the adventures that get you there. Have you ever done a podcast? No. Interviews? This is my first. You've been interviewed before. Yeah, I've been on TV stuff, interviews and things like that, but not a podcast. What were you on TV for? I'm so old. After Princess Diana died, I remember. I worked that. for the Reader, which nice. is like our local tabloid. Oh, I love and the Reader. We love yeah. the Reader. And they had me on uh, talking about the actual because uh, paparazzi, like I was a paparazzi expert. And really? Said, uh, I don't know much about that, but you know, <laughs> it was wrong to do, and uh-huh. those guys are stalkers, and they make us all look bad. And, yeah. You know, so was, that was on KPBS. Wow. Interesting. So a few. Yeah. <laughs> That's a different type of. Yeah. Do you still have that whenever, on? Whenever I can rail on paparazzi, I do. Because those they're, they're, they're not photographers, they're stalkers. It's, it's one of the biggest insults with people. How often are you called that? People like make that joke a lot. Many times. And I remember, I remember several months after that, getting blowback from people. Because people were really upset with the paparazzi back then. And. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it kind of led into our world. So, was yeah. that the start of paparazzi world. being that bad? I mean, was it not so um, bad earlier on in the 90s? Or, no, it was actually worse. And it actually leads to one story when I was in college. Um, I had a, I got a summer job, uh, with a guy named Ron Galila. And he was, he's the guy that actually, I, I didn't know this at the time, but it was for a lab tech, uh, to develop his pictures. And if you don't know Ron Galili, he's 
who term the phrase paparazzi. He's the one that followed Jackie O around and wow. she sued him huh. and she put a restraining order on him that he couldn't get so far. And wow. so I went up to his studio in the Bronx, I remember. And um, I was like, cool. He had all these boxes full of, it was back in the days of Prince, yeah. full of Alan Alda and Trump <laughs> even, and all these <laughs> celebrities. And he would go out and just photo, you know, hide bushes and photograph these people and stuff. And um, he fired me the first day. <laughs> I remember. Why? You- well, we were in the dark room and he, um, he was going over, the, you put it in the fixer and you put it in the developer and everything. And you put this, that, and he took a little stack of papers and he was going a mile a minute. And he's like, turn that light on. And I turned it on and he, I left like three pieces of paper out. And he said, like, get the hell out of here. He started screaming. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, man. Oh my God. Evidently he'd fired six other people that week. So he was just like this horrible person. Was he setting for. you up? No, he was just a horrible, mean <laughs> jerk, you know, but. Um, oh, but I went home and told my dad, who was older and lived through the Kennedys and stuff. And I was like, Dad, this guy named Ron Kalila. And he just went, bah! <laughs> <laughs> so from there, How you had funny. a bad taste in your mouth about I did. paparazzi photographers. I did. I did. But even before that, actually, in high school, I uh, assisted a photographer in New York, a fashion photographer who worked for Vogue and stuff. So I would get on a bus every morning from Princeton, New Jersey, and it was a two and a half hour bus ride and go assist him. And um, he was the same way. He would fire people and scream at people. But <laughs> since I was really young, <laughs> malleable, I guess, mm-hmm. he would, um, he was a little more patient. But uh, I, I quickly realized that wasn't my world either. I mean, it was just the whole beauty fashion industry is mm-hmm. just so, there's just no meaning to it. So this is kind of how you found your footing in and decided to become a photojournalist, which is not a paparazzi? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll give a little credit to the fashion world. I, I learned a lot about light and beauty. Yeah. And one of my favorite photographers at that time was it Richard Avedon, mm-hmm. famous photographer. We love him. Yeah. And I, I still today, I mean, think of his light. And I so started thinking I was getting into photojournalism. Why can't stuff from the streets be beautiful? Yeah. You know, and so I feel some of that influence is in my work. I mean, whether it's a protester on the street, you know, that Mm -hmm. there can be beauty in that person, you know, Mm -hmm. and that pose, you know, and you can see, I can see some of Avedon's poses in that, even though his are set up. But, um, you know, as photographers, we, we gather images in our head of probably hundreds, more than we know photographers. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to look at books and have mentors and people that you really like. Um, you don't have to copy them, but you you can combine many styles, you know. Yeah. I'm sure you've done that when you're shooting. You like you you have a mental image of another, maybe five, ten photos in your head or one great one that you're Oh yeah. Right? I think I've only learned I've I've only been a copier in a way. I mean it's Maybe not it's a combination. It's okay. It's okay to do that. Yeah. And even before I do, let's see, um, you know, maybe I'm shooting musicians or something. I will mm-hmm. look through a whole bunch of either fashion mm-hmm. or even other musician photography and look at the lighting. And be, oh, I've never tried that style. Yeah. That really is. Um, I need to push myself to try something like that. And, yeah. And it's really hard to do something completely brand new, you know. And it's yeah. It's because you know everything has point. been done. Everything's here been kind of done. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. that that idea, you know, of the world and how long it's been yeah. around and how many people are creating. And, 
but to do it in your own way. But our visions are always different. Our visions are a combination of so many different influences. And that's important. That's, it's funny because I went to an art school and being a journalist, a photojournalist, I mean, most people went to your traditional journalism schools and learn, you know, use a 300 for this length and that length. But, you know, an art school is all about developing vision. And during the time I was like, God, why are we doing this? We, I want to learn how to use this lighting, that lighting. And they were like, you don't need that. You'll learn that in the field quick, but I want you to develop. When someone sees your photo, I want them to say, this is a Sandy Huffaker photo. This is a Christy Walker photo, mm-hmm. Teresa mm-hmm. photo. Um, that's the like the best compliment in For my sure. mind you can ever get is when someone sees it in a paper yeah. and said, yeah. I saw that. And I said, that was a Sandy shot. And it was. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, developing your style I don't even know if I have one. Yeah, it's not an easy thing. (laughs) I hope to, I I don't know. I don't know if you need to analyze it. It just is. Or if you don't recognize it. Well, no, you should should recognize what it is. Like, even if you go home and say, what do I like? I mean, I I know for me, I like to elevate people. So a lot of times my angles are a little lower. Um, And then there's just, like I said, I mean, many different influences that I People I love like Salgado and Alex mm-hmm. Webb and these people. I just, you know, I, I see it out on the streets. Do you or still whatever. just see it in your mind's eye or do you Absolutely. look at, do you still look at the picture sometimes or? Absolutely. Still- no, it's already here. It's already it's in my in mind. So it's. Uh, well, I love your photography. Thank you. I think it's. Me too. It is beautiful photojournalism. Um, so that means you're basically capturing most things on a fly. Yes. <laughs> Shooting yeah. documentary out there on the streets or whatever. Um, yeah. So actually, I was curious. I was talking to Teresa about this earlier. Um, this is kind of going right into it. But do you think there's a difference between documentary photography and photojournalism? Hmm, that's a good question. I think maybe documentary photography might imply spending a little bit more time on a, on a subject or on mm. a story. Or maybe photojournalism just applies to, you know, going out every day and kind of getting the news of the day and getting things like that. So I think that's probably the difference. Um, you know, I think when you're coming up and you want to be a photojournalist or something, you know, it's always encouraged to go do lengthy stories and, you know, go live with a family or follow a cancer victim around for many, you know, so I think that's where it's kind of more documentary, but uh, I had a really uh, one photographer I really love from the LA times and uh, I was talking to him one time. He goes, you know, I I really love just um, going out and making a great photo, one great photo a day. And that kind of really resonated because um, I've never been super good at really long, lengthy stories. Maybe because I'm ADHD and I just <laughs> kind of get bored. I want to move on. Yeah. But uh, I kind of in his camp. I love to just go out and make a really beautiful image, maybe two or three. And that just floats my boat. Yeah, I hear that. I Yeah. Yeah. So do you I mean where do I start? You've seen so much. You've shot so many pictures of so many different situations. Do you still I mean, you kind of go out, you want to make that one great image, but are you still getting a joy out of being out there in society and seeing what's going on? I do. I do. It's it's what I mean, yeah, as much as the photography, it's it's what I really love and I mean, going all the way back to high school, you know, I remember I had a friend, her mom went to Peru and did all these beautiful black and whites, the Incan, you know, Indians and whatnot. And I just fell in love. This was right when I was assisting that fashion photographer. And I think that was the transition. I'm like, 
that's what I want to do. And actually I followed her lead and I went to Peru on my own uh, after my junior year in high school. I went down alone for two weeks and traveled around with a medium format film camera. Wow. All by yourself? All by myself. Yeah. This kind of seems like the start of your documentary. It kind of was. And I was like, oh, this is it. You know, and it was more always about the people and documenting cultures and whatnot. And uh, yeah, fashion was just like, no, nah, I'm done with that. So so you're fascinated by all kinds of people? Yeah, cultures, people. Um, you know, one of the beautiful things about photography is no matter where you are in the world, it, it teaches you seeing so many cultures and photographing and meeting people is, is knowing we're all the same. You know, I mean, I, I went to Haiti um, two years later. My dad had sent me down there um, to work with a dentist in a kind of a slum community down there. And so I went down and, uh, I I just wasn't into the medical thing. How old were you? I was, uh, first year in freshman in college. Okay. So I went down with this group and I told this dentist, you know, I'd love to just go around and photograph people in the community, Mm. you know, and my vision, you know, you'd seen photos from Haiti and it was crying people and bugs and this and that. And it really was an eye opener to see that the, they have these same emotions as we have. They were so similar to us, you know, but just different economic mm-hmm. status. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just kind of became a life's calling. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you've worked a lot in the local area along, yeah. along the border, right? Yes. Tell, yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'll start with kind of the lengthy story and cut me off of <laughs> rambling on too much. But sure. when I graduated from an art school in New York, it was Pratt Institute, um, it was about 1992 and I said, I'm going to go see the West coast for a year. Uh, you know, I was going to, I was going to go to Seattle cause it was Kurt Cobain yeah. and grunge. And it was like where everybody was going. <laughs> yeah. So I bought the van and drove the Southern route, visited a lot of family and friends and stopped in San Diego for the night. And I uh, looked over at my girlfriend who's my wife now. And she just said, <laughs> I don't want to go to Seattle. <laughs> so we ended up staying uh, but nice. then uh, the next day, I remember I went down to the border and wow. that was it. You don't waste I mean, time. <laughs> I, I know. I just, somebody took me down there and I was like, to ha- be able to have these two cultures separated by a wall, just to this day, 25, 27 years later, I'm still just, I'm captivated, fascinated yeah. with it. I mean, how it all works. Yeah. And um, and I've been going on ever since, you know, and really seeing quite a transition and stories and stuff since the nineties till now, mm-hmm. you know, when I, in the nineties, I mean, there were just, you'd, you'd drive down the highway and you'd see hundreds of people walking up the highway. That, really? That come over the border. I mean, hundreds. Yeah. Well, this is when they used to have those signs up, right? Yeah. Or that was people running across the street yeah, and they've taken those down. They have one left no, actually. Yeah. There's one left. Yeah. Um, they used to have these things called bonsai runs and that's when a, bunch of people would come up to the border where the cars cross and they'd all cross together wow. so nobody could get caught. <laughs> did it, wow. was this before a wall was built or I mean, how did No, it, the wall was there. It was just. They just didn't want to go. I don't know. There was just a lot coming over. or over. under it. Yeah. Wow. But now, I mean, today or pretty much since 9-11 with security and everything, they started building double and triple layer fences. So it's harder. nobody gets over now unless really? they go to the desert. You know, you have to go a long way around. Yeah. So have you ever gone, I mean, have you been going down on your own taking photos of, what have you been taking photos of? Well, uh, when I 
during those first years I was here, I was going down to Tijuana a lot. I mean, like three times a week, just loving it. And I stumbled into an old uh, wrestling gym, a Lucha Libre gym. And it was uh, an, a converted old parking garage. And I had these little creakly lights and like these really cheaply <laughs> painted photos and everything. I mean, uh, pictures. And, so picturesque. Yeah. And I, I went there and it was just really low budget, low key. And um, I loved it because, I mean, we in America, we have all these pro athletes, basketball and stuff. Down there, it's like... Um, it's like these luchadors and which means what? the battles, these fake battles, which they have are always like rich versus poor, the tax man versus the renter. Oh, so, the, and, so, I mean, I'm naive to, I don't know about this, but there, it's fake wrestling. It's fake wrestling. And they, they know it more than they do here. I think in the U S they really try to play it off like it's real, <laughs> but down there it's like the audience is a part of the show. And they create a whole scenario where, you know, the tax man beats up, is beating up on the renter, you know, and, you know, the crowd. And weirdly enough, it's all old ladies. And, and like, they'll throw the guy out of the ring and the old ladies will come up and hit on him. And, really? And it's just so colorful and so funny. And, but everybody knows it. They know the gig. And it, but it, it's also very like cathartic to, to the people there, you know, to, beat up on the, you know, yeah. on the bad guy. And is that all local, um, Mexican type? It's all over Mexico. There, yeah. It's, it's I mean, huge. Is it a tourist attraction? Or no, I've never no, seen anything. Not much. I've never partaken in anything like that. So it's on a little bit here, but it's, it's a very Latin thing. And okay. it's, um, but this would just have to be, happen to be like really low key. I mean, it was right in the red light district. You'd walk out and there was prostitutes everywhere. And it was just so, it was just something out of a, a novel or a movie. And you stumbled upon this? I did. Just walking <laughs> around. I did. I did. Just, just walking around. Yeah. So what happened with those images? What'd you do with all that, that story? I sold it to a few people, but I just, uh, you know, a few little magazines here and there. and But uh, nothing much ever came of it. And, you but know, it was but something it was, that you got involved with for just some, a, yeah. a period of time. It was almost like a, I had another friend. He's not a photographer anymore, but he was one of these people who, who had no fear. Uh-huh. You know, and I've always had a little bit of carefulness. When I go into a situation, I want to kind of you know, look, study up on it a little bit. And, but this guy would just walk right in the middle of it. And we used to, we'd go down there a lot and shoot. And we almost kind of would dare each other, <laughs> like how much danger can we get into and come out and you know i mean we just did it we would look at an alley that would look like uh uh-uh and we would he would just start walking i'd be like oh shit you know i'd fall (laughs) him down and it was we would just dare each other and it was almost like a boot camp (laughs) so kind of scary but then did you acclimate to the to the fear or do you learn you learn how to deal with your fear you learn how to you know, say, is this worth it? I'm, I'm going to do it. And then uh, it taught you a lot. Yeah. And, it, and even today, I mean, to this day, I'm like, I, I weigh in my head, is this worth doing? Okay. I'm going to take the chance and do it, you know? Yeah. Have and you ever had something go awry? Many times. Many yeah. times in any, Mexico. Any yeah, I've been, been chased uh, many times. and um, Chased by? Yeah, I was... Actually, it's usually mostly the Mex- the police, the federales down there. Really? Okay, tell us more so, of these stories about how federales chasing you. And so we went on a, we did a, our little dare. We never call it that. We just did it. But we went, <laughs> we were in Tijuana and we kind of from afar saw the border wall and about 
40 people mass and a big tire was on fire. This was the nineties again. It was gritty, mm-hmm. all this graffiti. And he's like, let's go down there and photograph that. I'm like, Oh, all right. <laughs> so we walked down and, um, it was just this crazy scene. People were actually jumping over the wall and getting up on the wall. And the, like I said, the tire fire and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, all of a sudden, like they, they were pretty cool with us there. There was no big deal. And all of a sudden we heard them speaking in Spanish and everybody started looking at us <laughs> and used uh, the hair on the back of my neck. So this isn't good for us. I don't know what it is. And everybody's just looking at us, looking at us. And um, This friend was about six, four. So he was really tall and really stood out. And we looked way down and we saw two cars speeding down towards us. Uh-uh. And I'm like, I could blend in a little bit. I'm, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're tan. Dan, I was like short, you know, whatever. But, um, and so they, they screeched to a halt. It wasn't marked cars. It was just two cars. And they, they were all looking at us. And they were coming for you guys, not for and Yeah, everything. they jumped out of the car and they ran really? up and they just threw us to the ground, put handcuffs on us. Oh, I didn't shit. know what he was saying. And, um, and they threw us in the back of the car and we ran us down to some station and, um, and we're just scared to death and yeah. sitting in a room alone for about a half an hour. And then this guy comes in and he just basically said, it's very dangerous down there. I don't want to ever see you there again. Go back home. Oh my gosh. We're like, you Oh, know, you're so lucky. You didn't have to pay him so off they, or anything. Didn't have to pay so him they off. actually helped you out? Maybe. He actually helped us out. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Did you get to keep your cameras Got to keep film? everything. No problems. Yeah. But it was just kind of a. Do you, tell do you ever wonder like, what it was that you were involved in there? Maybe that. I think he was. It was pretty honest. So we were in a pretty rough place, and he doesn't want that on his hands, like two Americans or mm-hmm. whatever, beat up or, you know, it's it's all PR. So, mm. um, so another time, I'll tell you one more story, and this was about a prison yeah. in Tijuana, oh. and I went down. What kind my, of job was this? Was this was for the that, reader? Okay. One of my first gigs when I got here. Oh, wow! Cool. Uh, it was funny that night we said we we're going to stay in San Diego. I got up the next day just quickly. I got a job at SeaWorld, which is like the worst job I've had in my life. <laughs> and it was a keychain photographer. Well, you know those pictures you get? Yes. I don't know. It was like, you went from that to. Yeah. So I did that for about two weeks. And unusually I got to, I said, I'm, I'm not going to flip burgers. I'm going to, I'm going to be clicking photos. I don't care what it is. Nice. That is just my thing. But, um, Got to start somewhere. So I did that a couple. That was just <laughs> terrible. Uh, then, so yeah, I just kind of kept stabbing, got into the reader, and the, it just happened. The uh, editor loved Mexico. He was a big Mexico fan, mm-hmm. and so we did a lot of stories down there. One of the first ones he sent me, and he might have just been seeing if I could do it. He goes, <laughs> "We have a an anonymous writer who's in a prison down in Tijuana, and we need to get photos. You're probably not going to get in, but just go try." <laughs> So I'm like, he dared you. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. You know, (laughs) one of my dares, you know? Uh, So I got down there and of course went down. I'd never, I took a half day to find it, you know? Yeah. So I get there and I'm really nervous. There's all these guys with guns and I walk up to the window and, uh, and they, the lady looks at me, goes, come in, come in. And I went, what? And so she waves me in and I go in this, opens the gate, brings me in, and then walks me down this long hallway. I'm all alone and sits me in a room. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? It can't be this easy, right? Yeah. Do they speak English? No. So I'm sitting here a half an hour and then 
All of a sudden, another journalist walks in. Another, like three or four. And then it's like eight cameramen in there. (laughs) Wow. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then we sit there another half an hour. And then the warden comes out. He's like, Vamanos, come on. I'm like, so I waited there. And they all walked out. And they they looked at me, come on. It just happened. They were having like this art and craft day at the prison Shut where they up. wanted the, the, you know, random. Yeah. So we walked in there and I photographs, you know, they had a little bodybuilding contest <laughs> art. and, um, so as I was in there, I just had gotten the shots and I, I just decided to like take off and walk around the prison. Oh now this gosh. isn't a prison with like cells and bars. It's like an open city mm-hmm. where they have little taco shops and people live in these like, really? Wow cabana closets you know it all depends on how much you pay you can live in a a cubicle or you can live in a small little space with like 20 beds and wow. it was like laundry oh in God. there there's some of the wives were in there Holy they Lord. were selling food that's um, a different type so of- i just started walking around and shooting and this and that and luckily some of the prisoners were cool and they would tell me like don't go down there don't go down <laughs> here but yeah it was just a trip so i shot for a while and it was it was pretty hairy that yeah. sounds, that's really getting, gutsy of you, Sandy. I started getting some vibes and then I was thinking, <laughs> you know what? I hope I can just get out of here. So I walk up and there's this really long line of people to get out, like family members. Mm-hmm. I guess they just let the wives in or whatever mm-hmm. uh, during the weekend. Wow. It's like a different. It's interesting. And I'm just sitting there. I'm, so I just raised my camera up over my head and they said, come on, come on. To, to let you out? Yeah. Just let you know. So it was that easy and it was like. So have you gone back since when no. it comes to like... No, never gone back. So. And is that how all, all the prisons are down in Tijuana? Uh, a lot of them are. It's like, if you have money, you can live much better or you can sleep on the ground. It's kind of like once you're in there, you, uh, there's a lot of paying off of prison guards. That's I think that's what the story was about a lot. Like, okay. You know. So you got your images? Did you create your story? Got my images. It was to? all in black and white back in those days, mm-hmm. you know. Black and white printing and stuff. <laughs> God, you must have so, so many negatives so. and pictures. <laughs> I do. I have an entire attic full of them, and I don't know what to do with them. I know. Is it in a, in a fireproof attic? No. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with it's a daunting task, yeah. right, to think about uh, organizing and cataloging all that stuff. It is. It is. That's so much easier today with digital. Um, I still have a, my whole dark room. Up in my closet, and I don't miss it. Yeah. If anybody wants it, give me a call. I just <laughs> I think you could actually sell it these days. People are getting back into film. Yeah, I'd rather. There's a app you can just hit film. <laughs> like yeah, that. I mean, I've sucked in so many chemicals in my life. I'm just I've, I've you don't it. need anymore. Yeah, <laughs> not anymore. I actually had a my dog actually ate my negatives one time. <laughs> you know how you use that excuse? Sure he did. Sure he did. There's something in negatives gelatin that. They like, and I used to have a dark room in my garage. <laughs> and I kept my dog in there, and I shot a wedding. Oh god! Oh no! And but I'd made all my prints, and then I left it all there. Came and she the dog had eaten all the negatives. Ha- all the negatives, not just most of them. And having to tell the client that on the phone, <laughs> my dog ate my negatives. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily, you had no prints. Cool. She's prints, and she ended up being cool about Back it. Back when you can just give them like twenty-five pictures, and they're happy. Yeah. Yeah, those were the days, right? Yeah, wouldn't it be? be, That would be tough shooting a wedding with all film. Yeah, but about Mexico, you know, it's it's gone through different times. Like I said, the '90s were a lot of people were jumping over. Then 
9-11 happens and then security got really tight. They, they built three layer walls and all that. So it was all about security, security. Uh, and then like later in the 2000s, you started getting a lot of um, the drug wars. Yeah. Uh, they did cover a lot of that. How a lot was of that? dead bodies. Terrible. And yeah. all the journalists' friends down there were doing it. And every so day it was you're just- You are covering pictures- A little bit of you it. You had to shoot dead bodies or- Yeah, yeah. A little bit of that. One in acid, which was not fun. What? Yeah, what was that? Went out acid. On a, oh. like yeah, went out bad. on a police ride along and they got a call and we pulled up and looked down this alleyway and there was just this big blue bucket, a big, big- and I didn't see anything, but it just, the, they were, the body that's there. it was dumped. in there. They mm. put it in acid or something. Was that like an AP job? Like yes. Like, that's exactly what it was. Get down there and yeah, shoot Yeah, get down there. And that went on for a while. Then the stories migrated to like how few tourists were going down there. Mm-hmm. And even today I go down, my mom, who's in Atlanta, I was like, you're going to get killed. Don't and go to like, Mexico. Mom, it's fine. But yeah, that's still, I mean, you used to cover spring break and yeah. thousands of kids now. No, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like for a, while, or do you want for a while, nobody was going down at all. I'd go down. It was like empty streets. Um, but the, the cool thing is now is like, it's all arts and culinary stories. Yeah. Tijuana's got this thriving like arts culinary scene. That's what I've heard. So. Is it all over the city or is it kind of like one little area that has all the hip restaurants and- It's all over. I've never had a bad meal. Yeah. Ensenada also is great. It's, 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 I love covering that. I love- Why that. is this happening? Um, hmm. Did you, have you covered that? <laughs> I think- uh, there's so many like maquiadoras, like factories and the economy and of Tijuana mostly is good. It also has a lot to do. Our economies of San Diego and Tijuana are really linked, really linked. Um, uh, a lot of back and forth, which and a lot of supporting people, and a lot of people in Washington sharing. and all with all this immigration debate don't see. They don't like understand how, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we see it every day. I mean, they're vital to each other in economies. In fact, it's funny, the stories that I'm predicting and I've done two of them already, how Americans are from San Diego are moving to Tijuana because you get this century pass where you get over easy and they're building all kind of new, beautiful condominiums. You get a whole floor for like 250,000. I mean, it's it's like San Diego is like spreading into Tijuana. The only available uh, Mm -hmm. property that's left is moving down. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That's so that's kind of, but now, yeah, now the stories as as of now are like uh, mostly it's all deportation stories um i just covered one i was gonna say do are you going down often with border patrol are you going into these deportation um if migrant shelters and whatnot yeah just with uh yeah a lot of the gangs and whatnot in honduras and salvador i mean you have thousands of people coming up trying to escape all that and they have these migrant shelters in tijuana where they um when they get here they can chill and rest you know before they so it's a try lot to go of over. mix of cultures even in Tijuana, right? Yeah. Because it's like yeah. the local. It's a little bit of everything. People and then people that are coming from further away. Yeah, yeah, but it's just sad to see. Like, you know, you got a politician from Washington out, and it's like we need to build more walls, stronger walls. It's it's kind of like no matter what your political persuasion. I mean, it's when you live along the border, it's just and you hear that it's just ridiculous. Because they have a wall, I mean, for those, <laughs> and where they don't, they have all kind of technology and sensors. Mm-hmm. You've shot a, along the wall a lot. What do you see at the wall? 
because I've seen pictures of like at those times they open it up and families get to see each other or they have church services. Like what, mm-hmm. what are some interesting things that happen on this border wall? Yeah, they have an area called Friendship Park, which is a, um, kind of an ironic name. And it's where the border wall meets the sea. And every Sunday they have like a Catholic mass between both sides of the border, um, which is really kind of neat. And they also have a lot of families that, like that have loved ones that have been deported. Yeah. And they can, that's the only way they can physically see each other. Mm. So they'll come down on Sundays and have these picnics and just kind of hang out and talk to them through the wall. They have a picnic through the wall. It's not. Picnic through the wall. Yeah. And it's some really sad stories, you know, like wife, husband's working up here. Husband and wife say the, the wife gets deported back to Mexico. The husband didn't, you know, but the kids are up here. There's all kind of crazy stories where families are separated. And, um, yeah. So you've yeah. seen like hundreds of those stories. Hundreds of them. I just did one last week on uh, five kids um, who their parents just got deported. Or they're actually in a um, detention center in downtown San Diego. They've been in there for four months. And these kids are all, they're all in their teens and early 20s. Mm-hmm. And they're all pooling together to like uh, support the house. They're all working, trying to work. Oh my gosh. Um, although the oldest one, which weirdly enough, came to the United States illegally when he was uh, four months old. Mm. And, but as all of his brothers and sisters were born here, mm. so he's going to get deported, which Just is really sad. He's never lived, he's never lived in Mexico. Well, yeah. For, for the three few months. months or something. Um, so he's going to get, and de- he's the one that's taking care of the family. Pretty much. He's, he actually, he's the only one who can't work. He has a ankle bracelet on. So he's, oh. cause he's a flight risk. They say, yeah, but oh, so his ankle bracelet isn't for committing a crime. It's no. for being. Uh, yeah. For his, elite, not he's going to have it. a deportation, an immigration hearing. And he, he, from what I've heard, he probably will get deported, which is just so freaky. Like he didn't, he didn't, I think he speaks a little Spanish, but not much. He's never even been to Mexico in his entire life. Yeah. <laughs> Besides the first four months of his life. Right. But his brothers and sisters all were born here. So they'll stay. And his yes. parents will probably definitely get deported back. So. You think that they could make an exception for the not not in this day and age little child? Yeah, not not in this day. Yeah. So, so. what have you seen? Because um, obviously you're sympathetic, and we're sympathetic to these immigrants and like that that guy's story. Um, mm. And then you've also shot people who are not sympathetic for news stories. That's correct. I guess I'd like to you tell me about one of those situations and then mm-hmm. I would ask later how, as a photojournalist, do you photograph both these different stories fairly and under uh, the ethics of journalism and how do you feel about that or how do you approach it? Yeah. You have to be objective. You have to grit your teeth as much as you can. You really have to. I mean, it's, it's important to get both sides of the story out. Um, how do you be objective? I mean, I have been a photojournalist, so I do kind of, I do know how to do this, but to explain to people that don't know, um, because we are people and we are subjective internally. There's no way of not being, not having an opinion or emotions inside. We're humans. Um, I would, I would think that I was telling Teresa earlier, I would think that just trying not to show someone a bad light on purpose is being as fair as possible. Um, You know, if they are doing bad things and it's the truth. I, I go for the juice of the story. I mean, I, when I photograph uh, 
few years ago, I went out to a place called Oracle, Arizona to photograph a tea party rally. And um, I was just really interested in kind of seeing the other side. It was when the tea party was really starting to get powerful, mm-hmm. you up. know. And, um, you know, I, I'm interested in just American citizens and their stories. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see what it was about. So I drove all night and I got there at like six in the morning and there was just a real an old man there setting up. Just a really sweet old man. Um, and I was talking to him. He's like, how was your trip out? And just very, very nice. And I was talking to him. And all of a sudden, a couple of the protesters started showing up, the Tea Party folks. And he started getting started talking to him. Mm-hmm. And it's like his demeanor just changed 100%. He those damn Mexicans and this and that and the other. And I was just like, oh, oh my God, where did this nice man I was just talking to go? Right. So it was like the, as the group showed up and they started fueling each other, um, there's intense hatred and in that wasn't there when I showed up. And that's kind of what I personally gathered from it is in, a, in groups. These people mm. are pretty, pretty vicious, nasty. When you get them alone, they're kind of like your grandpa or your grandma. Just they, they can be nice. But I, I do feel like they probably sit and watch a lot of TV. And it's funny. I mean, I work for media outlets, but <laughs> I, I think some media and I always say some media. I, you can't say mainstream media. There's mm-hmm. too much of it out there. There's too yes. much diversity yes, of like, media. Yeah, CNN but some media Fox really News. fuels fuels the anger. Um, yes, yeah. yes. I won't say it, but oh. um, no. They and people. A lot of old retired people sit around and watch this all day and are just fed this. And it's funny. You go all over the country and you meet the same person. Just these horribly angry people, and it's like it doesn't make sense. I mean, a lot of them have okay lives or middle class. You know, they're white, yeah. so they're probably yeah. doing not okay. And they're just so beyond themselves angry. Yeah. So and, do you trip on that a little bit? Yeah. So I wanted to see it. It was it was in full display. I mean, just, you know, screaming. And um, so it's funny. They were, they, they protested at this spot because it was when they were bringing migrant children to these detention um, holding places to see if they could get asylum. Yes. And so they're waiting for buses of these children to come by. Oh my gosh. And so as I'm shooting this, it was really funny. A, a bus comes around the corner and, oh, they got up and started like mm-hmm. putting, putting their signs out and everything. And uh, the, the bus came by and they started screaming at these little children, like, go <laughs> home, go home, go home. Oh my God. Um, so it's funny, like, when I got to the hotel, I, I, I stayed the other. Um, I watched the news that night. It happened. This bus was just a group of kids going to a camp. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't what they a, thought a group it of was. Children, oh my gosh! They started screaming, <laughs> and it just made them look terrible. But um, yeah, so but the media. I just want to say the media can can be a really destructive force. Now that I think the media is all about profit. In some ways, it used to be your big stations, ABC, NBC, CBS would, they never made a profit doing it. They just did it because that's, it was a good service to do news. Their money came from sports and sitcom shows Mm -hmm. and stuff. Once it became about money, that's when I think it just went down the tubes. And it's sad. It's really sad. It is sad because we need it for um, our freedom and for truth. And we're seeing... I think the importance of photojournalism just as of today is the day after the big uh, white supremacist yeah. rally in Charlottesville and uh, a photojournalist from their local paper got a 
got the shot of protesters, uh, the guy ramming the car yeah. into the protesters, and that, that shot's that running shot all around the world. It's crazy. That's a, that's going to be a, a story in the history books. Chills. Yeah. All over my body. That story will go down in the history. That That one image is the one that will resonate in everyone's mind around the world. It's and, an, yeah. So that, all of those images yeah. when they start popping up um, with the torches, I didn't even know. Like it looked so theatrical, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know. I was sort of just like barely getting into the the news and what I was seeing, and it's hard to believe that those uh, images were really what was happening. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> they were uh, real. It's out there, and they're they're very emboldened now. I don't think they've always been there. Yeah, no. It, yeah. It's yeah. interesting that they weren't wearing masks. They were just yeah. plain faced. Here we are. It's funny when I was in college um, in Atlanta for two years, um, they used to have a lot of Klan rallies down there and I was going to cover them. I was just interested in the racial issues, just like today. Yeah. And uh, so I went to one, it was in Forsyth County, Georgia. It was like an hour or two North of Atlanta. And um, these Residents were like protesting. They're all Klan members. Mm-hmm. I can't remember they were protesting. Um, but about, uh, about what, 300, 400 people, like Klan it's a people. Lot. Yeah, were out there. And then I remember some peace marchers from Atlanta came up, about 100 of them on a bus. And as the bus pulled up, everybody's throwing rocks and bricks. And these peace protesters were going to march a mile. And go back, and uh, they couldn't even march like 100 feet. It they just was so much violence. Wow. So they got on the bus and went home. And then one week later, one week later, 20,000 peace marchers from nice. around the world came out to this little county. Wow. It was like the first time in my life I'd seen not how nonviolence works. Oh. And um, it was like a, it was a beautiful thing. It was a and force. Then, like, what's that? It was like a force. It was a force, and it was beautiful and nonviolence. That was my criticism when I started watching the protests in Charlottesville the morning when I saw what? everybody just scrapping and fighting. It's like I understood the anger, but you fight, you lose, you're going to lose the argument. Oh. You lose it. And it was going that way, I saw, because a lot oh. of younger people were just, <sighs> and I understandably mad, but upset. like the second you throw blows, and I saw a lot of the other side, non supremacist, you know, throwing punches and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, you don't, you, you lose the battle. Yeah. Then the car ramming thing happened and it was like, see, you see, that's what resonates when you, when you go to violence. Um, yeah. But, yeah. When you, that's, that was, I saw that beauty of Martin Luther King about nonviolence. Just. Yeah. Um, so when you're covering something like that with your camera and mm-hmm. it's obviously overwhelming, right. And do you get emotional? Not yet. Not till I get home. Never. I, it it really is like the camera adds cover. Okay. To what you're doing, and it's uh, you just try to block it out till you get home, and then you know. And then it does it hit you afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it does quite a bit. Like when you get home, um, you just have to know in certain circum you're you're doing you're what's doing right a job and a job. Yeah, mm. yeah. Is there a situation, we're talking about the lines of like, um, where, you know, you saw some, something happen and people get hurt. Is, is there a point that you would ever put down the camera to help? 
uh, is there like a, is it a gray area or do you have a black and white kind of opinion on, on it's that? a really good question. I think a lot of journalists ask that, but, um, you try to interfere as little as possible, but for me, I, I would help if somebody's, uh, if somebody's down, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go help them. You've never, if, if somebody runs over and starts helping, I'll get up and go. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's safety first, humans, humans first. So have you been faced with those types of situations where you feel like, oh my God, should I stop shooting and, you know, um, do something? No, there's usually a lot of, say, people that would help around. I haven't been confronted where it's like somebody's on the ground, nobody's around, you know. Um, yeah. I did have an interesting thing. You might remember about five or six years ago, a military F-18 went down in a neighborhood. Oh, and gosh. it was in my neighborhood and I saw it. That was it. your neighborhood? Oh, I right. saw it. You saw it happen? And I was at home. My wife and I were talking or something. I, I remember just hearing just this really weird sound, this gargling sound. I'm like, and it got closer and closer and our house started to like tremble. <laughs> and we both just jumped under the table. And then I heard, oh my gosh, sort of go by and I, and I just grabbed my camera and I ran outside and I heard a large bang. And that was the um, pilot ejecting. So right as I pulled my camera up, what? he was good. the parachute was going. <gasps> I, I missed, oh I missed it by a second, oh, yeah. and I just saw the airplane spin out of control. Wow! So then I was That's like, amazing. "Wow!" And I saw you saw I the saw airplane s- spinning down out of yeah. control. But I didn't wow. see it hit the ground. It just went behind the trees, and I'm like, oh, uh, my "There was God. a canyon that I was seeking even." And so I jump in my car. Actually, I broke my lens because I was. You know, we all dream oh of like, God. oh, when a plane goes down, how cool are we going to be? We're going to be out there. But when, you, when no. that happens, your adrenaline's so high, you start fumbling like an idiot. Oh, my god! And I, was like, I ran in the house and I was putting my lens on, um, putting a card in, get, oh, you know, yeah, get it right. all. And I was just fumbling. I dropped a lens, broke it. And so I finally oh made it gosh. to the car. By the way, keep your camera ready. I was going to say, isn't that the first rule? You're supposed to always have your camera ready to go. Yeah, keep ready your camera to ready. Ready Damn. to go. With yeah. a card in it and everything. Even if you don't format it, just kind of keep it ready. Which I've never listened to that rule, but I remember. Ever since that day, I always put like a, load yeah. my card in, but I always put it back in the camera. You didn't even have a lens on or you were God, trying to change the lens. Change it. I had a long lens. And you wanted short lens. something yeah. else. Yeah. So I finally got <laughs> everything together, threw on my flip flops and just rushed over there. And it was so close that I got there before anybody <gasps> Oh, and I parked shit. and I ran out and it was just like this zombieville. All the houses were on fire and everything. And people oh were out in their God. yards, like with their hoses. They looked like zombies, like oh, spraying. People started spraying the house. Just like, Are there yeah, their they own were spraying houses, their houses and the they just look like. Happened. And I'm like shooting all this fire. And I, I want to see I was these actually images. kind of like, I, I kind of wanted the paramedics to, so not to shoot, but just fire. <laughs> yeah. Destruction. So then all the, slowly everybody started showing up and. I'm in the middle of this fire and I hear this helicopter overhead. Like, please get get leave the area. There's some tetra hydrogeline that can kill you like right away, the fumes. And I was like, oh great. Well, I'm not dead, so I'll keep shooting. And then, so you kept shooting? Yeah. Just until they made you discarded that uh, yeah. that advice. Uh, <laughs> besides shooting this out of kind of like this is what you like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, did you also know that you had a source to sell this to? Um, yeah, and I made a really bad I made a bad call on that. I called my, uh, just my agency, Getty Images, who I just always work for and ended up just giving those photos like I would any normal assignment where you get like a mm-hmm. day rate, a crappy little day rate. Yeah. What yeah, should just, you have done? You know, I think you could probably sell them on your own. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you get a really exclusive shot, you know, so I ended up making just like 300 bucks, you know, and, and I broke his $1,500 lens and, and these photos went everywhere. Yeah, and they were like front page, but I would probably, I would and... take it more on my own to just like go or at least bid with other people. Right. Um, and, uh, were you so just excited a, and you just I, wanted just to like share habit. the images? Like, yeah. Get your photos, get them to the agency, get yeah. them out to the world, get them out to the world. <laughs> You're trained. You know? But I was, you know, I, I, we all have like our own news context. I don't know exactly who I would have gone to and who would have paid for them. You yeah. Know? Um, that That's a big story, but it's not like if you get maybe like the president being assassinated, yeah, you're yeah. the only one. Yeah. It's a big, it's big, but maybe I don't think it's like. if you gotten that pilot ejecting, that would have maybe been a little more. Maybe, but no? in the grand scheme of things, you have to think like all our news comes from New York or D.C. And they kind of deem what's real news around the country, hmm. you know, and that was a big news story for the day. Because it was military, yeah. For the day, but if you think about the overall picture, after a week, you never heard anything about it. So, yeah, I don't think I could have made like thousands and thousands off of it. Unfortunately, uh, I remember a mom and her child were killed in that. Yes, that was terrible. Yeah, that was terrible. Um, but that's an issue. Like, our news is all dictated by people sitting in an office in New York and DC, and I feel like there is a bit of laziness on their part. Like. They're just being fed what's coming in. So you're saying all the agencies Mm -hmm. are based in those areas. Yeah. And I think, you know, every region of the country or town has its thing that these editors see, like, you know, California's, San Diego's immigration, military, maybe a little bit of scientists, you know, LA's entertainment, San Francisco's just in business, you know, Mm -hmm. or or techie. High tech, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so every town gets kind of lumped into one and- that's kind of the narrative they always want to talk about. They don't want to like, I always find they don't want to get off their narrative too much, you know, and we, you see this incessant over coverage of, of our politics and our president and whatnot. And it's like, yeah. I think a, it's because they're not getting out in the country and maybe because of funds, people don't have money yeah, agencies, but I don't find them going out and finding stories. It's just like, okay, what did Trump do today? Okay. What did so-and-so do today it's right there it's right in front of them and so you don't think it's fake news you think it's lazy some of it not is broad coverage. some of it is i think you know of course some of it's really important but some of it it's like all right he coughed today you know he <laughs> said something else stupid or whatever it's but instead of like you know i, th- I think even like the media i think they were off on the pulse of this country and maybe the reason he won is they did they weren't out there really talking to people out there and seeing. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? I mean, yeah. maybe they, yeah, they weren't I going, don't feel like they, they had a pulse of what was enough. going on. And even like the other side, I think, thought they were going to win. For Democrats, sure. They, they were just like, we got this in the bag. Sure. I mean, like and Trump they, will never get elected. He's yeah, I can't, I can't figure it out. Crazy, but I yeah. think they weren't, they didn't get out and really talk to people. No. And yeah. Like they should have. I don't know. Yeah. It's a bubble. It's, it's a, a it's a, it's too... a DC bubble and it's a New York bubble. And, but that's why as journalists, it's so important for maybe people like us who live outside of that bubble to show, yeah, show these things. You know? Well, the, the term fake news, right. That's mm-hmm. been going around. What do you feel? Well, that's an easy out. out. That's just an easy out. That's because he's trying to protect himself. I mean, what's the first rule of thumb, you know, assault the media. And, um, 
And that leads into this story. I just was sent by Reuters to DC to do this hostile environment training. Oh, yeah. And I get there and it's like this ex-Belfast cop, you know, really (laughs) tough guy, like teaching us how to survive IED explosions and so that and I'm thinking I'm not I'm not going to Iraq yeah. or anything. Why do I need to know right. that? But then I'm thinking, you know, look once again at Charlottesville. I mean, people somebody plowing their car and and with this rise of Trump attacking, assaulting the media, yeah, uh, we are a target now. Not like we ever have been. I mean, yeah. people, you're out at protests like Ferguson and places like this. Uh, journalists are being directly attacked. So uh, they taught us how to defend ourselves. They taught us how to do some basic. See, you know, like tie tourniquets and yeah. um, fight off somebody because you know when you have all that camera gear, you're, you're not. They tell too, you to take your camera and just smash it across I their know. face. They said whatever that. works. That was a cool thing. If that if that's yeah. what it takes, you do it. That would hurt. And that was kind of cool. Is like don't hesitate if you're defending. Your if life. you have to get out. Yeah. Wow. How to how to react if you get tear gas? They actually. Tear gassed us, put a little on our eyes just to, so that? we could see really? what it was like. Did it I was hurt? terrible. It was more painful than you thought. I mean, it wore off, but like it was good. They just to did like, a little bit to you. It was good to like feel it so you don't freak out if it ever happens. How long did it take for it to go away? Um, it's like 10 minutes. Have you thought about like okay. if you go in that kind of situation, coming more prepared, like having a little bottle of saline with you or something yeah, just to yeah. spray your eyes out? I or? said baking soda. Yeah, it's good. Don't ever do water, but, and then they don't fake kidnapped us, which I don't think that'll ever happen. That was, it was like this weird mix of like, if you're in Afghanistan, hey, you, Iraq, or if you're at a riot and I'm like, I think I'm going to get kidnapped. At a riot. They like, it's so funny. Know. I mean, I think I might get kidnapped every day still. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that's different between a man and woman or having young children. I'm thinking everyone's going to be kidnapped. He's going to be, yeah. So they like threw us in the back of this trunk and sped us around and put a gagged our put our hands behind our back and a bag over our head. It was terrifying to think. Was like, it hot too? Yeah, yeah. It was like in D.C. Like, But it was terrifying to think, like, if you're really in that situation, you know. Which photographers This was just a funny, you know, like, you know, demonstration, but it was like. Did they do it violently? Like, you would be, if you were actually arrested, are they kind of like, stand here? Yeah, they made here, you sit we'll on your knees, on you. You, had a, you had a bag over your head and your hands behind, and then the instructor would come up, put his arm around your neck, kind of tussle you around and just to kind of give you a feel. And then they came one by one and put us in the trunk of a car and they drove us around the lot. Trunk of a car? Yeah. <laughs> and they had like death metal going on, which was, but That's it made it like. Really it funny. Cool. Yeah. Death metal? Just yeah. to make it. <laughs> Did it bother you at all or no? Oh no, it was, it was just. You knew it was all. It was just interesting to training. think if this was a real thing. Right. You know, like, wow. You know. It's like but, being um, in a movie, but it's some people, unfortunately. Yeah. It's happened in real life. But, uh. But like I said, journalists are being target targeted, and it's probably good to know a few few little skills. I probably never need to tie a tourniquet. If, but then again, yeah, you, Boston. Never look at are, Boston. You better knock on wood. Yeah, you a never few nevers. Look at the guy in Boston. I mean, you so. never know. That, right? if, that definitely could apply to like the situations you shoot in. So uh, yeah, knock on wood for me, right. please. Yeah, right. um, I'm wondering. So you uh, you like to. Uh, you're photojournalists and you like to shoot a lot of these kind of assignments because you care. And like, you're kind of saying that maybe the media should have covered more of the small stories and maybe people saw that. I mean, do you really, do you still feel like it makes a difference? Yeah. Yeah, I really do. do. That, like I was kind of mentioning with the border earlier that I feel when you live down here, you see so much that people 
away, far away from the border don't. Like, you know, you see, you, you walk down to the border area on a Saturday, you see thousands of Mexican folk coming over shopping at the malls down here. You see that hundreds of tourists, Americans going over there and you just, and then you see, you know, businesses like Makiadora is working with each other. It's a huge economy. And, you know, you'll get somebody like Trump or Jeff Sessions will come down and say, we need to secure all these rapists and murder, you know, and it's just like, what are you talking about? You know, it's, and it's, I do feel like it's my job to show that it's more personable sides of the border, like these families at that wall being separated and show the human toll of it. It's, it's so important. I find it crazy that people can't humanize people when they're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about even a 25-year-old guy. You're talking about someone's son, someone's husband, someone's father. Yeah. So important for journalists to tell those little stories because, you know, like again in D.C., I mean, everything's a statistic or a storyline and it's like they're not, they're dehumanized. They're just like, yeah. I know that um, Mexico and and California are like intertwined, but do you feel like Mm -hmm. they're um, like different worlds? Yeah, completely different worlds. Yeah, they really are just visually. I mean, I, I love to shoot down there just because <laughs> yeah. the color and the texture and the food is so rich. And, you know, it's funny, you'll right, drive around San Diego and these cookie cutter villas and like yeah. nobody will be out. Like, where are kids these days? Why aren't they out? Uh, you get out of Mexico and it's still like the way it was when we were young. Kinda, kids kids are running all out in the streets and then time just having fun, riding bikes. And, you know, I've, feel culturally it's you're still down there a lot yeah it's very rich down there and i i love seeing it you know (laughs) i want to go on a sandy tour come on (laughs) (laughs) i know i I thought we need to go just go take photos with him and yeah you know it's half a few stops i just brought my kids down yeah you know like last weekend and they were like like, oh you're crazy like no they had a great time you walk through the markets and they're selling fresh foods all the colors and the smells are just completely different. Where'd you guys so, go? Just, just TJ. Do you want it? Yeah. So you've never worked as a staff photographer at a newspaper, correct? I have not. I had a very brief stint at a small paper here in North County. I uh, worked on the weekends and I took the job because I being freelance, I was lonely. I just wanted to work on staff. But then they put me in on Saturdays and Sundays when like I was the only one in. Yeah. I'm like this is no fun. <laughs> you know, money was crap, but I just wanted to work with people. I've, I've, always been freelance. And, um, my dad was a political cartoonist for like time and oh, sports wow. illustrated. And wow. he was always kind of had the same lifestyle where How cool. he was, uh, I guess you call it freelance. And, yeah. um, so I, I grew up thinking it was very normal, you know, like yeah. just, but it's, uh, in a funny way, I don't think I'm cut out for it, you know, to be freelance. It's like, you have to, there's, it's, it's terrible for the blood pressure. <laughs> I'm sure many of you know, you know, you're working, you're working, you're working, and then bam, the brakes just get put on. And then mm-hmm. yeah, when you it go rains, a week it without pours. it or two weeks without it. And you just, you start to go crazy. And it takes um, a lot of discipline, a lot of discipline to be able to say this is a normal cycle. While I'm slow, I need to be able to market. I need to, you know. Usually get myself back in shape. You know, you'll, you'll be out on the road a few weeks eating junk food and stuff. And then, yeah. um, so it's, it, it can be really stressful. I mean, it is great. Like you're your own boss and stuff, but you know, another thing about freelance is you're never off. You're always on. Yeah. I don't care what time yeah. of day or where, whether you're on vacation, you're always yeah. worrying. And I've, 
honestly never been able to take a really good vacation my my entire career. Well, because yeah, you You've might never. I'm always thinking about it. Two weeks off or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd go camping up in the Sierras, well out of range, cell phone range, and you know, first two days I'm good, and then day three I'm like, oh boy, when I get back, <laughs> the message is on my machine. You know, it's. I guess I've never quite just, took a vacation where I'm just out of reach for too many days. You kind of have to, but it's still you're thinking about it. But I'm saying I've, I, I don't think I've ever been able to successfully do mm. it. Um, uh, you know. Say I'm at my dad's in Virginia or something. I got a call and, you know, you can't do it. And you're just thinking, oh, who's he giving this job off to? You know, how many <laughs> times can I turn this client down before mm-hmm. they give up? And um, I don't think I've ever just lost a client, but I have, I, I've missed a lot of jobs and you, you can't, you got to answer the call. Yeah. It's definitely a or, different gig than someone that goes to work. And then when they leave, yeah. they don't work, you yeah. know, because... You work, you know, everywhere you are. You're just always strapped to your phone, yeah. you know, and you're always, you know, you're on vacation. You're looking at the news like, oh, is anything, a wildfire <laughs> hits San Diego. And you're like, oh, great. Um, yeah. You just have to kind of tell yourself life will go on. There will be other things. For the most part, every editor understands you have to have a life too. But if you do it too much, then. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so uh, you have to. You just can't be gone for too long. Yeah. Um, How do you think the industry of, you know, being a photojournalist is changing? Um, Where is it going? It's really weird because I'm a little bit optimistic about it. And Good. most people are pessimistic. Um, yes, newspapers are lagging. People are getting laid off. They're mm-hmm. shrinking, everything. But um, I'm incorporating my photojournalism into a little bit more um, PR work these days, which seems kind of weird, but yeah. I'm finding like companies, yeah. every single company, and there's millions of um, need journalistic style photos yeah. of their company and their people working to, to hand out to news outlets. And I'm trying to kind of go in that direction. Um, weirdly enough, Facebook has been huge. You know, right. I remember getting a job and I, I asked the client where are these photos going? I, they said on Facebook. I'm like, great. <laughs> You're hiring me to put photos on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm like, wow, they have a million and a half subscribers. This is pretty good. Serious, you know? serious this stuff. This is all right. So it's things like that are becoming legit, you know. And then the opportunities through Instagram. I think there's a lot more opportunities. And um So there's obvious opportunities with our style of photography, you're saying, but not necessarily yes. in photojournalism. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I think we're the most visual society we've ever been Mm -hmm. we're so visual right now and there's so many things being thrown at us and you know my entire career I've always been told oh there's so many photographers so much competition there's always somebody cheaper who can do it you know what there are but you don't want to work for those publications I find there's uh, plenty enough publications that want quality you know and I'll tell you for example I've gotten so many jobs where say for corporations where I like to term this uh, a Bob in accounting hmm. and Bob in accounting is the guy who's worked there 35 years. He's got the best camera gear money can buy. Mm-hmm. He's studied all the books. He's gone to all the workshops and he takes the worst photos you've ever seen, <laughs> but they've, they hire Bob. The company hires Bob to take their PR photos. Right. Well, they look terrible. And somebody upstairs says, you know what? This isn't representing our company too well. 
we need to actually pay a little money and get somebody in here. Mm-hmm. So they hire a photography to come in and we do a good job and they go, wow, this is because your brand is everything. Exactly. Yeah. And every company has Bob. Sorry. Yeah. And it's, uh, so I find quality has never been more important. Yeah. And it seems like um, what people want to see visually is also evolving, right? It's yeah. more of the. Real- it's competition. You got to work through mil- thousands of, everybody's being bombarded with thousands of images a day, whether it's on your Facebook or billboards or magazines, you got to be able to stand out. And um, every company knows this, or you need to tell companies this. Yeah. Like, you want to stand out? You're going to have to put out a little money, you know, and because it's not easy. Yeah. Ask Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Although Bob thinks his work is great. He has no criticisms <laughs> of his it? work. Ooh. Well, yeah, he's exposing everything, right? He's he's doing everything the book told him to do. Yeah. That's one thing I learned early on of Tyra yeah. if it looks good to you, do it. There's no book that can ever tell you what a quote unquote good photo is. <laughs> you got to learn Yeah. That. It's what, what looks good, you know. And sometimes that textbook image just is boring. It doesn't look bad. It's just, you know, and styles evolve. I mean, we've, we, we go through certain, like a, I do a lot of work for um, like biotech companies and stuff. And, yeah. you know, the old style lab shot was the blue gel and the red gel and maybe some dry ice or something. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, and that's hmm. just, that style is so tired. And I go into these places and say, listen, we, you want like nice, bright light real, your employees smiling, happy, looking like they really enjoy working here, doing research, natural lit. Yeah. And um, they love it. I mean, it's, I, I think our perceptions with all the reality TV we have now, I think people don't know it, but they're a little more hip. They, they more know, they can smell a rat. Yeah. yeah. When you get a, a stock shot, say in a lab or a doctor's office, and the doctor looks like Brad Pitt. He's this <laughs> handsome guy. Mm-hmm. Even in like the most uneducated photo person's mind, they're like, that ain't, that ain't real. Yeah, it's not as playful. That ain't real. That's not a doctor. I've never seen a doctor like yeah. that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I try to go in and say, let's use your real people. Do you really, um, do, you, do you shoot it like a journalist or do you, do you bring in lights? Um, yeah, you ha- you, when you bridge from like photojournalism to like, quote unquote, photo corporate photojournalism when you're doing it for a company of course you're like setting things setting up the scenario but i'm trying to perfect the art of like bringing the people in whether they're hired models or their employees and and putting them in a scenario where they're doing something real like have a real conversation and i'll catch it as yeah, a journalist yeah. would because you can also tell when it's set up when somebody puts your hand here and there you know you might even want a flaw or two in there like Maybe somebody in the background blinking or because, like I said, it looks real and people mm-hmm. like that genuine quality. Um, That's interesting. And I like so. to go in with very little, very little light, just gear, just keep. I mostly use just have an assistant hold a reflector. And that's for me most just to fill in a little shadows and clean it up. But I try. That's usually the most I'll do. I think people yeah. um, react a little bit more naturally when yeah. maybe what you you're doing is not as intrusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or big lights and, you know, set up. So you're saying there's no hope for photojournalism. I think there's <laughs> a lot of hope. I think there's a lot. You just have to kind of. New outlets. As, I guess. The, as the Marines say, improvise. Yeah. It's never going to be the same, you know, as it was. I don't know. I mean, I've been around since 
25 years and it's always been changing. I've never made most of my income on journalism. It's you always have to do corporate stuff to, I don't, I don't even know if there ever was the great times of journalism. Weirdly enough, I think since Trump's been, I've done more journalism than I've done in 20 years. Really? You know, since the Bush years, you know, Bush years was like going to war, coming home from war, immigration, all this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of back to that. And it's weird because uh, media organizations are kind of flush with cash now. I haven't, I can't remember the last time I was told, like, pitch us stories. Some of these agencies I'm working That's for, happening. like, they have money now. They're like, pitch us stories. We want stuff, mostly wow. on border, like things cool. that are going on. But it's like, for the first time in a Many years. Um, People are involved. They have money and, and there's money back in journalism for a little while. That's um, that's cool. And this is like New York Times or is this yeah, like online? They just doubled their rate, more than doubled their rate. Agencies that had kind of dropped off the map are coming yeah. back. That's good. And kind of like for a while, we'll see. You know, just ride, ride this wave as long yeah. as you can. But like. What's your yeah. ideal assignment? Wow. Um, somewhere south. <laughs> Deep South? How Deep far south. how far south do you want to go? I'm kind of like a <laughs> I I grew up in the South and I I love the issues of the South. I I love going to like New Orleans and places mm-hmm. and kind of discovering weird little pockets of the country that nobody really sees. Yeah. You know. When I covered Hurricane Katrina years ago, I got to drive all around like southern Louisiana and just found all these Cajun. It was so cool. I mean, like they were still speaking French and just Ooh. thinking like, this is really cool. Like yeah. those little pockets that are still. Just little. Little nooks that are. So I, I actually love domestic stories, like stories from America. I, I never had any huge desire to go to the Middle East. I kind of feel like it's far away. It's very exotic. Mm-hmm. I don't think it takes a lot to get great pictures. It takes a lot of courage and logistics and stuff. But um, I think it's harder to do work in your own backyard and more rewarding. Um, there's a lot of stories here. There's a lot of stories here. You know, just personally, I, I love to, like local type stories. I want to see some more of your work. Thank you. Is it all online somewhere? Yes, it is. You can go to my website at www.sandyhuffakerjr.com. It's Huffaker Jr. How do you spell that? Uh, H-U-F-F. A-K-E-R, and then J-R dot com. Has it always yeah. been junior dot com? Yeah, my dad was the cartoonist. That's he was a, so yeah. he was the artist, so we had to That's very cool. distinguish that, you know. I well, like we'll know to introduce you as Sandy Huffaker Jr. That's okay. I just <laughs> dropped a junior. What my dad about? retired from cartooning, so I think. <laughs> what about uh, other social media? Are you out there? Um, yeah, just Instagram. It's my name, Sandy underscore Huffaker, and... Facebook, you can just type in. There's not a lot of us out there. Very good. So, yeah. Um, and then. <laughs> I, don't tweet. I don't tweet, so I should. No? Just oh. not into Twitter. Actually, just because I think photos look really terrible on Twitter. Yeah. I don't know why. Lots of stories on there. Yeah, though. yeah. Um, so our podcast is called The Last Picture Podcast, as you might know. And so if I was to ask you, like, what's The Last Picture that you that is meaningful to you or um that stands out to you or that you want to tell a story about that what, I took or just that I saw or what it say? can we don't really have any rules about it so it can be any one of those things 
I, I guess because this Charlottesville is so fresh, that one from yeah. yesterday, this the they kind of the 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 photographer from the I think it was the news that advanced in Charlottesville was just standing there when the car just came speeding down the road. Yeah. And uh, you know, he could have gotten hit, but he put his camera up and um shot, you know, shot the photo and that'll rest as far as just it's a from little, the cars behind, right? Yeah, but he was standing there. He's the behind car. the car. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think. But then I know he backs up, and then the guy had to kind of get out of the he way. Had to get but, out of the way. So it, I think it resonates because on a few levels, because I mean, it was pretty gutsy to just stay the course, stand there. They always say, you know, when photojournalists, when the majority or people are running away from the scene, photojournalists are running to the scene. Yeah. So it exemplified yeah. that. Um, then, like I said, with the adrenaline thing, there's always adrenaline flow. And so he kept it there. He, he got the shot. Stayed steady. It was hard. Um, the fact that photo will be remembered, that'll that'll go in the history books. That'll reverberate forever. Ever, that, that story, yes. That's, that photo will create change. And you're already seeing it today. Um, like I said, that's, that's going to bring the white supremacist movement down. Yeah, good. Their message is gone because of that photo. Um, so... It had maximum impact. Yeah, very much. <laughs> and uh, kudos to him for staying the course and standing there. He was, re- was his about last to day on the job. Yeah, was his last Did you day hear on the that? job. His last day on the job. Oh, he's about so. to go be um, the marketing like photographer at a, at a brewery, a right. craft brewery. Smart man. <laughs> way to way to go out with a bang. He came back for yeah, one but, more day to help finish the story. Exactly. Oh. So. But that's the weirdness of our job. Mm. Yeah, you, I can be sitting in my house and a plane goes down and <laughs> I'm in my underwear and all of a sudden. Ooh, I actually put my pants on Were before you? I went. No, I, I did. I did. Um, his name is Ryan Kelly, photographer at the Charlottesville Daily Progress. Yes, kudos to you. Um, but yeah, you can. I can be sitting in my house playing. He can be at the pro, just getting protest shots and something like that. You never know when it's going to happen, and uh, and it sounds easy, but just being prepared mm-hmm. uh, and ready to go and run into the scene when mm-hmm. everybody's running back and telling you to get the heck out of there. You should read about story. his story. He's he's already been written about about his day. It was it's interesting. You read it? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. He describes what he ate for breakfast, how he felt when he was going out there, what he's doing, and then how it just suddenly happened. It's very awesome. interesting. Awesome. Um, that's so. a cool. I I like what you do. Thank you. Yeah, I like that you're. Tr- you're I love your show. And I love what you guys do. Thanks. Hey, Spread Sandy. a little West Coast love. I like it. <laughs> Although we love all kinds of photographers from everywhere. But yes, it happens to be a lot of West Coasters here, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got the East Coast, West Coast, right? You're East Coast, yeah. though. Yeah. I originally. Am. I am. Originally in your, yes. your blood, maybe. In the blood. <laughs> By coastal. <laughs> right. By coastal. Uh, with the photographers of the world. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. It was really very interesting, and I loved hearing all about your photojournalism. And once again, life. I'm sure you have so many more stories. <laughs> Thank so you. So many more stories. So you'll have to come back someday. Scratch the surface. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Andy.